Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. And Happy New Year is the first episode of 2023. My name is Dan Murphy, and joining me today, as ever, is Mr. Samuel Luckhurst. Samuel, uh, Happy New Year, mate. Happy New Year to you as well. We, we we had one on Monday, but we didn't oh. have the uh, the pleasure of your presence. So it's it's a Happy New Year to you and a Happy New Year from from you to the listeners as well. I'm sure they'll exactly. be delighted about that. Exactly. Can never spend enough New Year cheer. That's absolutely the truth. Even if it is the second episode of 2023, as it transpires, as we've as we've said many times, it's this period. We're just coming out of the period of not knowing when any day is. So as soon as we get past this weekend of fixtures, I reckon we'll be back to normal. But also with us today is Mr. Tyrone Marshall coming for us live from behind enemy lines. Ty, how's it going? Uh, yes, good. Thank you, Dan. Good. Happy New Year to yourself and to anyone who who didn't listen on. Hmm. Uh, New Year's Day. I can't imagine what you would possibly have been doing, but um, but yeah, happy New Year to anyone, anyone and everyone. Exactly, exactly. And it's been a good start to 2023 for Manchester United. They um, kick things off with a 3-0 victory on Wednesday over Bournemouth, keeping their positive run um, since uh, club football resumed after the World Cup alive, Samuel. And another, if not kind of solid from 90 minutes, you know, for the whole 90 minutes, another really kind of comfortable win and four games now, four wins and four clean sheets. That's the pleasing aspect about it. There were times on, um, was it Tuesday night against Bournemouth? Again, the days will merge into one around this time of year. But there were times when they, they didn't even get out of second gear. And certainly after they scored the second goal, there was an element of complacency about them. Bournemouth had a, a decent flurry where De Gea had a few saves to make. He made two, two particularly good saves, one one at the end of the game when it was well and truly won. And Ten Hag is very consistent in speaking in quite a critical nature about these victories if they've not played to a level he feels that they should be. And when you look at the Forest and, and, and the Bournemouth games, they should be winning those games at home. And, and 3 nils probably the minimum you expect from those two matches. But he clearly wants more. It's, it probably bugs him a little bit. They're not third because of the goal difference with, with Newcastle. Newcastle have kept a lot of clean sheets this season, but they've also, you know, they've they've been, not had as much issue with United as, as scoring goals as well. So I think their their um their goal difference is some like plus twenty one. United is plus seven, which is very modest. But the most important aspect, I suppose, of of, of United's form is they are putting points on the board. They're on a good run of four wins in a row now in the league. Six. Uh, I think it's it's six successive wins, including the cups as well, and really their next two games they should be winning them. So they they really should be going into the derby on, a, on an eight match winning streak, and I think it's just every time Ten Hag presents himself in a press conference setting or every time he's on the touchline, you can't help but be impressed by him. Uh, he's he's very demanding. Uh, 
only a few minutes into the games and that was again the case against Bournemouth at the final whistle when he was thanking De Gea for preserving another clean sheet. Uh, De Gea later told me that in the mix zone that he was, he, he, the quote he used was that he was a bit angry because of how, how open United were defensively and this is after winning a game 3-0 at home on a night that Newcastle didn't exactly drop points. That was a point gain for Newcastle and they're doing very well this season but They've had a lot of very good results, nearly half a dozen results elsewhere going their favour over the last uh, three or four days, and there's there's a, a good you know there's a good amount of distance between United and Liverpool. You don't really look at Tottenham at the moment and have any faith of them, faith in them uh, pushing United close, even though there is a long, long way to go and, and things can turn around as as Conte did last season with Spurs but United on form are one of the best one of the best best teams in the country at the moment and again we're not at the halfway point yet Ten Hag keeps on stressing there's room for improvement and there clearly is when you watch their games and at the moment you you've got a lot of faith in them to to move up a few more levels before the end of the season yeah absolutely I mean Ten Hag wasn't the only one kind of critical of that kind of second half lull in which Bomb have had, you know, United were 2 0 up, but they did kind of take the foot off the gas a touch. They relied on David De Gea to make a string of three, save, three or four saves, um, two within close succession tie. And as I say, Ten Hag wasn't the only one remaining critical. Victor Lindelof said after the game that um, United needed to control the game better, even though they were 2 0 up, they kind of gave too many chances away. But it's nice to see that that kind of mentality is kind of seeping through the whole squad. A win isn't good enough just on its own, it's great but um, the performances and the control of games matters just as much. Yeah, definitely. And it, it kind of, we've been talking about it here. You mentioned earlier behind the lines I've been at uh, City today doing Pep's press conference ahead of the Chelsea game. And a, f- a few of us here were at the game last night and a few watched it. And it, it just it feels like they've just become this, you know, winning machine might be overstating it at the moment, but they are just winning games and making it look very simple. They did it on Saturday. Um, you know, that, that was... That was the kind of game that they wouldn't have won in the last two or three years on on Saturday against Wolves. They found a way. Once you start winning games, you just find a way to win games. And like you say, last night they were they were decent without being at their best. Tenag had had words for them after the game, but they won three 0 They kept another clean sheet. Some key players scored, and it does all just feel like it's it's going very well at the moment. I mean, this is. You know, this this is as good as it's been at United for a, for a long, long time, really, d- dating back to at least the sort of first, first or second Mourinho season. You would say um, feels like everything's pointing in the right direction, and the the quality they're showing on the pitch is is the highlight of it. it. It's clear the manager is the most important person at that club now. That that wasn't the case for Ranić. It wasn't the case for Solskjaer. Mourinho tried to make it the case. Perhaps he was too confrontational at, at times. Um, but it feels like Ten Hag has struck that right balance at the moment in terms of the way he's dealt with Garnacho and Ronaldo and Rashford. And yeah, the, the, the way they are playing on the pitch, they're, they're not always at their best, but it's a 38-game season. You're not going to be your best for 38 games in a season. You've just got to find ways to win. And the fact that they've won successive home games 3-0 against average sides, when goal scoring against average sides has been their difficulty this season, I think shows the, the change in, in mindset there as much as anything this season. Yeah, absolutely. And this this kind of streak of winning does kind of stretch back further than um, you might remember. I mean, the, it goes all the way back to the 2nd of October, that game when they lost 6-3 against City and were kind of humbled and it, things didn't look good at all. But in the reaction to that, United did really well. They rallied in the 16 games since. They've won 13. The only defeat coming against Aston Villa and the draws come in against Chelsea, which was a good point, and Newcastle, which... 
might not have felt it at the time, but certainly looks a lot much better point than it did now, given how well they're doing in, in the games since. And Tenag, as we said, he's had a great start to his tenure as United manager in the first 20, he said he's managed 25 games now, 18 of them have ended in victory, which is more than um, Sir Matt Busby, Sir Alex Ferguson, even Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, who's obviously hired off the back of his excellent start to life in Manchester, Mourinho, Van Gaal, Moyes, of course, so he's, he's had an absolutely amazing start, uh, Samuel, and it, you know, it resulted, I think, there's still not playing attacking they're still not playing attacking-wise as good or as exciting consistently um, as as Ten Hag's Ajax teams did. But we're seeing flashes, and there was three good goals against Bournemouth. The opener was Casemiro turning in a really well-delivered free kick from Eriksen. Luke Shaw started and finished an absolutely sweeping move. And then he was also involved in the third goal, a crossfield pass for Bruno Fernandes to tee up Marcus Rashford for his 12th goal of the season. And... You know they're not doing it all the ninety minutes yet, and they could be doing better. But to do it three times at least and making the resulting goals is certainly great. And the quality of goals United are scoring is really um, nice to see. And you know it's, it's resulting in a, a happy Old Trafford. I, I didn't know that stat about uh, Ten Hag having a better record in his first twenty-five games and all those managers you just mentioned. Which again, it, 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 whatever the mitigation, that that reflects very favourably on him. Uh, Tired a good stat about um, United's calendar year of 2022 and that the first 24 games were as rank- with Rangnick as manager, the next 24 games were with uh, Ten Hag. And I think, they was it eight wins under Rangnick and it was 17 wins under Ten 17. Hag? However you um, however way you look at it, he, he has improved the club at just about every level that he, he possibly could do. And there is there is still a lot of potential there. His his hit rate with signings has been very good, but the most expensive Anthony, who, who was injured last night, but when I was told a couple of hours before kickoff that he wasn't playing, I wouldn't have been surprised if he'd been dropped because he has been generally underwhelming for United. And Ten Hag was pretty critical and demanding of him the last time he scored. Now, pe- people might look at that quote and think, well. Is that the manager to blame for the players slump in form and him then going a few months without scoring? But it isn't because he's done so much good work elsewhere and everyone would be pinning Anthony's performances on, on Anthony. He's been playing where he wants to play. You can't really um, knock Ten Hag for, for for the way he's managed him at all. That's that's all on him. And as, as, as you said, you know, looking back at his quotes after the, I think it was the Tottenham game, which was obviously their best performance of the season, he said at the time, he said he told the players how, how enjoyable it was to watch them. And I suppose that's the one thing missing from this sequence of wins. He's He says they're entertaining in patches. Against Tottenham, from start to finish, it was rip-roaring stuff. The, the 2-0 scoreline massively flattered Spurs. And of course, United, what they want from a manager, they do want an entertaining style of play. Uh, it's what the fans demand. They are obviously going to be patient with that under Sen Hag because of what he inherited uh, in the summer and, and the state they were in for much of last season. So he's had a lot to fix in that time. And slowly but surely, they are making very gradual progress whilst other teams who, certainly at the start of the season, I would have looked at Liverpool and, and Tottenham and thought that they would finish above United. Uh, Chelsea as well, possibly. But uh, certainly, I think... In my prediction, I'd United down as, as fifth at the start of the season. So if United to be above Tottenham and Liverpool at this stage is is very good going for them. I wouldn't say it's necessarily surprising because where we've become accustomed to observing Ten Hag, spending a little bit of time with him, it's clear that United got that job 
absolutely spot on. Whether he turns out to be a success remains to be seen, of course, and he'll obviously be judged on that in, in due course. But the way it's going at the moment, you they clearly got that decision right. I don't think that anybody would dispute that now. And I was one of those who thought that Pochettino was a more suitable option. But the reassuring thing I thought was was when one of uh, Ten Hag's confidence in, uh, in in the Netherlands stressed how much of a disciplinarian he is, and he's instilled that in the dressing room, and he gets responses from players, whether it's individually in Rashford's case or collectively. That that point against Chelsea, as you said, was so valuable because Ronaldo was dropped from the squad that weekend, and it was a game they had a good chance to win as well. They were very dominant in the first half. But the manner of getting that point with Casemiro's header uh, in, in added time and the celebrations, that was, at the time it might not have felt like such a big step forward, but in retrospect it was probably a bigger point than it did seem at the time. And even at the time, you could tell how important that was for the harmony of the squad. And it's even more harmonious now because Ronaldo's out of the picture. And again, De Gea, he, he describes United as a proper team to me last night, uh, which is clearly he didn't feel they were last season. And he had a very good view of that, given the amount of goals he was shipping in and uh, how, how poor as they were and the other the other various issues that um, engulfed them last season. So they're in a very good place at the moment. And it'll be, re- it'll be really fascinating to see how they progress this month specifically, given the next two... Uh, Premier League games against City and Arsenal and, and the Cup games as well. Hmm. Well, one player who's certainly kind of having a good start to the year and is having a good season compared to last, for sure, is Luke Shaw. He back to left-back um, against Barnum after a nice little spell in the middle of defence and um, he kind of caps off a really um, good week uh, with a lovely goal, that teed up lovely, um, lovingly, lovely, well done nicely, I don't know, kind of malfunctioned a little bit there. Teed up really well by Ganacho. Um again another kind of attacker showing um, experience well beyond his years and his decision making and yeah, a, a really kind of great week for sure, uh, teed off with a, a great goal. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he was excellent at, at centre-back during his, his spell there. We've seen him play that role in a in a back three. I don't think we've seen it in a two previously. And Ten Hag's comments about it have obviously been very interesting with regard to the left-footed build-up. That's something he, he clearly values. And you wonder if Shaw might end up being almost Martinez's his, his backup for that role ahead of the other three centre-backs. But he's still, his best position is still left-back. He's comfortably a better left-back than Tyrone Malassia at the moment for me. He's another player who... Ten Hag has undoubtedly improved and, and developed this season. We know Shaw has, has got it. He obviously had a brilliant season a couple of years ago. With the caveat, it was behind closed doors. But then he went to the Euros and, and played brilliantly under pressure in the Euros. I think he's one of one of these players who came back from the Euros, these England players, and, and really struggled after that tournament and struggled to get going again last season. And As the season descended into the, the chaos it was for United, I, I just think there was no time to kind of get their heads back in the game and their confidence back. But with Rashford and Shaw this season, you're, you're really seeing an improvement. Shaw showed in that campaign two years ago that he can be a real threat going forward. And we saw that last night. And like I say, as good as he's been centre-half, he's he's a very good left-back, I think, and is, is good enough to be playing week in, week out for United at, at left-back. There's... We've kind of been in this position still, and we mentioned it at the start of the season, that Shaw's been pushing, must be pushing 10 years now at United. And we still don't quite know if he was good enough or not. You know, since he was very unlucky with that injury, but he only really had that one really good season. The rest, there was big question marks about whether he was at the level required. And I think he's showing under Tanag at the moment that he, he probably is. Certainly, if you were to compile a list of 
areas that need strengthening at the moment. I think left back would be would be way down the list for United with with Malassia's youth and and Shaw's performances, and he he was uh, excellent last night. And on another position that probably doesn't need much strengthening, at least for the time being, Samuel, is midfield. Casemiro and Fernandez once again putting in standout displays. And uh, the farmer there, um, as especially Casemiro, he's just become <clears throat> such a absolute linchpin in that side. He has. Uh, it's not a coincidence that since he came into the team, they've they've only lost one game in 16, is it? I think he said. Uh, I, I remember right watching that game at City on what was it 2nd of October and I always felt it was a little bit peculiar that Casemiro who's something like six weeks into his career at United he still hadn't started a league game and that was always going to be costly in a, in a game like that where you've got a makeshift stopgap of a defensive midfielder in McTominay who through no fault of his own really he, he's he's got a ceiling but it, it really did show that day City were uh, were utterly ruthless and there were other issues as well about United but if you're not starting Casemiro in a game like that then you are kind of asking for trouble and that was probably one of the lessons that Ten Hag learnt from it following week at Everton he got robbed for, for, for Iwobi's goal early on but then he won the ball back and he played that brilliant pass for Ronaldo to score the winner and he's he's rarely performed badly since then he's even against Wolves it wasn't it, he looked a bit lethargic at times maybe understandable given that he was he was playing a bit more regularly for United and obviously the the pace of the Premier League compared to the World Cup is a lot more intense but he's still the guy that Ten Hag is beckoning over to show him his his tactics binder midway through the second half he's he's very much Ten Hag's lieutenant on the pitch that was that was pretty clear when the two of them spoke in in San Sebastian ahead of the Sociedad game in, in November. And the, his, his goal last night was, was supremely well taken. Uh, it, was, it was a bit reminiscent of, as I said, very niche reference, uh, Ashley Young to Chris Small in the 2011 Community Shield. So I'm sure there are about 10-year-olds out there, or if, if there are indeed 10-year-olds or 15-year-olds, however old they might be, they probably have no recollection of that whatsoever. But those two players, uh, Casimir and Eriksson, have been... Uh, ter- terrific signings. I mean, Ericsson really is is, is a still. You, the more you think about it, the more peculiar it is that more clubs weren't in for him. Maybe there was some some uh, hesitancy there over what what happened in in Copenhagen uh, during the Euros. But he he showed at Brentford last season what a terrific player he is when he's he's got the platform and and he's fit and healthy. And and what's really impressive about Fernandez is that some of his best performances this season have come in games where. He's he's actually been shifted to the wing, and he, Ten Hag's tried to accommodate Van der Beek as as that playmaker. And let's be honest, Van der Beek hasn't really shown anything to suggest that he's worthy of that role in a United shirt. And rather than Fernandez uh, kicking up a fuss about it or having his nose put out of joint, he he comes up with contributions. And last night he had he was placed centrally to lay the ball off to Garnacho for the second goal, and it was a lovely deft little layoff for for Rashford who couldn't really miss with that third goal. So they're they're looking in a very very good place as far as the spine is concerned. I mean, last night their the central defenders were probably third and and fourth choice, but as far as Casemiro, Eriksson and, and Fernandez go. They're non-negotiables, really. Uh, they, those those three have to start as, as many games as possible. And I think the only league game that Fernandez hasn't started in this season was was at Villa when he was suspended. But it was a little. It is a little bit peculiar that Ten Hag has played with his role a bit. But maybe that's part of his process of trying to educate him, and that Fernandez is not completely aligned with the kind of playmaker that that Ten Hag likes. 
but because his impacts are so profound and that he can he can create something out of nothing and, and Chelsea away was a really good example of that in the first half he, he sprung up I think two of two of the three chances they had that afternoon in the first half you you've got to maximize that asset as much as possible and his mentality is exactly the kind of mentality uh, a manager would would want to have in his team yeah, absolutely. You know, he's, he's been returning to his best and it's great to see. And well, I thought you mentioned there something that was interesting was the, the, the centre-back thing there. You know, Maguire probably started a bit unexpectedly coming in um, with the captain's armband on. And though he didn't, you know, probably was a perhaps um, a typical kind of Maguire display, not quite the confidence we've seen him display again in an England shirt. But he kept a clean sheet alongside Lindelof, as you say, perhaps maybe even further down as a fifth choice given Shaw's kind of emergence. But a second-string centre-back partnership there, Ty, Coupled with makeshift um, centre-back pairings of either Casemiro and Varane or Shaw and Varane in these last four games and clean sheets in all of them, that certainly bodes well for a really heavy fixture list um, in the coming months that United suddenly do have, out of nowhere, six actual decent options for centre-back and <clears> that they're all at least, you know, maybe they conceded chances, but <clears> at least not conceded goals. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the defensive record recently has been absolutely exceptional. I think it's September, the last time they conceded at, at Old Trafford. So they are doing very well defensively. There's no doubt Ten Hag has, has tightened them up. I think it's as much due to structure the structure of the team and the sort of strength of that midfield now and the presence of Casemiro as it is improvement in individual defenders. It was pretty obvious last year that they were far too open. The midfield under Solskjaer especially and under Ranić was just lacking any kind of structure they'd often lose the ball and have no midfield to protect defenders. There were times last season when they'd turn over possession 70 yards from their own goal and players would be running at Maguire and Lindelof and, and Varane and that's just not happening anymore. So I think that's made life easier for the defenders. Like we said, the, the defensive record is superb at the moment. The, the real interesting test is going to be that game against City in, in 10 days now when that's, that's going to be put to the test and we're going to see real signs of sort of how big that improvement over the last few months is. But... It, it, it does look good. Like you said, the changing personnel didn't affect it too much. It, it was only his Monday's podcast when I was being asked if it was the end of the road for Maguire at, at United and then suddenly he's in the team and playing and, and doing a pretty decent job. I, I still think it's it, it's probably the end of the road come the summer. I, I don't think this situation is sustainable for him or the club really, but it does show that he's, he's still a, a decent defender and if he gets his confidence back, he's still a decent defender. But I don't think that's going to happen for him at United and I don't think it's... a a sustainable situation really for a club captain to be fourth or fifth choice and a player for that transfer fee to be fourth or fifth choice. But I think what it does show, like I said, is is the improvements Ten Hag has made just to the balance of the team and the structure of the team and the the setup in and out of possession. And they just look they look a team that is a lot better coached than they were twelve months ago, eight months ago. The the improvement in that regard is is stratospheric. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
Mm-hmm. And you know, and you know what that leads to, uh, Samuel. You, you know, you can dread from it, you can run from it, but premature optimism will get you no matter where you go. And already with United's kind of upturn in form, there are the the starting of little whispers, of little suggestions of can United challenge for the title? Uh, surely it's a little, little bit early for that sort of talk. But only one point behind City, uh, level one points for Newcastle, and who knows, eh? Yeah, uh, I think everyone knows that it's, it's not going to happen. It's it, it is interesting the the proximity they are to to City and the fact they've reeled in Newcastle in this um, this sequel to the ninety five ninety six season that that nobody wanted or nobody even expected this season. Uh, Newcastle, as I said, I, I think everybody expects them to fall away. Maybe not that far off. Uh, they're, they're doing very well. They don't concede many goals. I think if they were to finish in the top six, that would be a tremendous season for them. But I, I certainly still don't expect them to finish in the top four. And, and that's still got to be the minimum aim for United to just qualify for the Champions League because of the context of, of last season. It's it's a different it's it's a different case with, with Arsenal because Arteta has been there more than three years. They obviously had a dreadful start uh, to last season. But towards the end of the season they were building momentum they were looking like a serious team again they've made some very good signings in the summer and they are a serious side again that's why they've been top of the league for the majority of the season it's interesting watching Arteta um, appealing over that nonsense handball in the Newcastle game he, he does strike you as a man who knows if Arsenal do fall behind uh, City most likely they're, they're not going to have a prayer they're not going to quite know what to do it's, it's it's as if they don't have the coping mechanisms to to get themselves back out in front and so the best way to do it is to stay out in front for as, as long as possible with United it still comes back to the attack and you look at Arsenal they've scored 40 goals this season City have scored 44 um, Newcastle have scored as, as many uh, many more than United than I thought but they've they've still outscored United which you wouldn't have expected at the start of the season and where Marshall's had this consistent run of six games, he's been brought off in each of them. Uh, I, I was saying to Ty earlier, the, the most read on our website this morning was a Marshall injury update, which was a, a little I was slightly despondent about because it, it's it's difficult to discern whether he's actually injured or not most of the time. And Ten Hag actually was asked, was he okay? And he said, yeah, I think so. I mean, mm. I, I think Ten Hag didn't think much of the fact that he'd he'd gone off injured. I don't I don't think he's necessarily expecting him to be out of the Everton game or anything drastic like that. But it still comes back to the attack and they are still struggling for goals. Liverpool obviously took Bournemouth to the cleaners at the start of the season. Nobody's expecting another 8-0 or or 9-0 from United against a team who, uh, as as inexperienced as Gary O'Neill is, he's doing a pretty good job there, all things considered, even though it still might come back to um, backfire for, for Bournemouth actually appointing him on a permanent basis. But as far as the title is concerned, it was it was the last question asked of Ten Hag in his press conference, and th- th- there's a curious element about it. I think if United were to, you know, dare, dare I say, if they were to beat City and Arsenal, then I think people are, are forgiven for for getting excited. But you go back two years to the behind closed doors season, and they did get to the top in January, but it was misleading because where the start had been delayed by a month, we weren't even at the halfway stage, and of course when they had that seemingly it seemed like a home banker against Sheffield United they were top they they lost their nerve they got dizzy and then they fell away quite easily they didn't lose many games after it but there are a lot of 
it was a very soulless period of, of nil nils I seem to remember and, and the odd win and February was, was quite a humdrum month so th- there are different sides to that side obviously uh, and they've, they've got characters with a with a greater winning mentality who have been there and done it before albeit mainly in different leagues and, and someone like Martinez winning the World Cup that's got to help matters but it's still extremely premature to to even regard United as as, as as possible title challengers. They've still got a long, long way to go. But it will be fascinating to see what happens in the derby and against Arsenal because that will be a good gauge of where this team is at at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. You took the words out of my mouth there. Because, Ty, as I say, Premier League, there's only two Premier League fixtures left for United this month, I believe. And it is the home Manchester derby against City and uh, the reverse against Arsenal. They've already beaten Arsenal once this season, of course. And the only team to do so in the Premier League so far as well, um, which still seems quite a, quite a bizarre one. But, if, you know, if City aren't by any means um, in their best run of form at the moment, they have just drawn uh, to Everton, who we'll, who we'll touch on momentarily. And... But they've they've not been playing well probably since that uh, that evisceration uh, of United and so and um, United have shown they can beat Arsenal if they pick up six points there and and, and as Samuel rightly points out it still won't even be the halfway mark I don't think um, so it's you know it's still early but the complexion of the table is certainly going to be an interesting one isn't it Yeah it is and I think you know it, it would set that derby up brilliantly. I have to whisper this quietly, given about City at the moment, but it would set the derby up brilliantly if City didn't win tomorrow night and uh, and United could go above them. But they've certainly been closing the gap. And I mean, what what makes the job Ten Hag's now all the more incredible is is those first two results he he had. And we we touched on those stats before. That's eighteen wins out of twenty five now. When his first two games were a two one defeat at home to Brighton and a four 0 loss to Brentford. So it's eighteen wins out of twenty three since then. Which you know, if you'd have told me and Samuel that. Uh, uh, I was going to say Griffin Park then, but at Brentford back in August, I, I think we'd have both fainted, and not purely due to the astonishing temperatures that were that were hitting West London that day. It's um, you know it's it felt like anything was possible and, that day, didn't it? It did, yeah, it did. I remember coming on a podcast on the Monday afterwards and saying, you know, there's been so many nadirs over the last twelve months that it's doubtful this is the lowest, but it turned out it was the lowest, and the improvements since then have been excellent. And I think you know, title talk is is clearly premature. Um, but top four looks, I think, bordering on nailed on. To be honest, now they're 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 a far better team than are than um, than, Arsenal, than than Tottenham at the moment, than Chelsea at the moment, than Liverpool at the moment, and uh, they're building up this momentum. And you, you just think, you know, I think they're they're certainly capable of finishing third in this league fairly comfortably. Yeah, you'd like to think, but um, that's kind of the Premier League on a little bit of another break now um, for a few days at least as kind of attentions turn back to the domestic cup competitions next week. United do have a Carabao Cup semi-final, but first, Samuel, Everton in the FA Cup third round, as I just touched on there, they might have drawn with City, but that hasn't kind of alleviated any of the pressure on Frank Lampard as his side were then absolutely battered 4-1 by Brighton on Tuesday night and as you kind of touched on at the start of this podcast, uh, if United don't get a victory here and move on to the fourth round, it would be a, a massive disappointment, to say the least. Yeah, Everton are in disarray. And when United played at Goodison in October, they'd actually recovered from a, a, a pretty patchy start to the season. And they, they looked like a, looked like quite a tough team to actually come up against. But uh, I, I think that was that was just an anomaly, that period. Uh, they, they made a mistake hiring Lampard as they made a mistake with most of the previous uh, managerial hires they've 
um, they've they've made since since Moyes, uh, which is I mean you, you're now looking at nearly ten years ago now, and Moyes got some justifiable stick there because he didn't really. I think they were, a lot of fans were conscious that he had a ceiling and that he wouldn't try and break that ceiling. Then Martinez came in and and he did. They finished fifth in 2014. But then he was. I mean, it's ridiculous how positive that man is in defeat, and it, it still seems to seem to be the case when he was Belgium coach. And they've they've not they've not really got it right since then. There seems to be this uh, this split between uh, Bill Kenwright, who's been at the club for for a number of years, and uh, Farhad Mashiri, who's put a lot of money into the club over the identity identity they want of a manager. And Mashiri always wants someone a little bit more exotic or a name. And Lampard was the compromise. Benitez was apparently a compromise, but that 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 if you were to try that appointment a hundred times, it would fail ninety nine times. So it wasn't a surprise that he got sacked when he did last season. And with Lampard, I still find it quite incredible. A little bit similar with Gerrard as well, and that they've 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 managed some very high profile British clubs uh, at the start of their career, and that's because mainly their their names. I mean, Lampard did a, a reasonable job at Derby when they got to the playoff final. Uh, he did okay for a season at Chelsea, but then as soon as the transfer ban was lifted and the expectations were raised, he was he was quite swiftly cast aside. With Everton, it's always seemed a mismatch to me. Uh, apparently, I was told that he gave a bre- brilliant presentation to Everton. They hired him on the strength of that, but. When you're relegation fodder and you're trying to sign Anthony Alanga in the January transfer window to get up the table, your your judgment your judgment is not sound really. And I mean Everton tossed it off in the League Cup earlier this season, didn't they? At Bournemouth, I think they got battered. Was it four one? I think it was four one and three nil twice in the same week at at Bournemouth in the in the cup and the league. I would imagine that with this cup game on Friday, just everything about it, the the Friday night slot. Everton's defeat to Ball, uh, to Brighton, sorry, and the fact that the Premier League is the priority for them, it just has the makings of Lampard making these changes that accept that look we're not we don't really we're not really invested in this game tonight, even though it might give them a confidence boost. But United are getting them at a good time. I I can't really see anything other than a United win. United will make certain changes, but as we've said before, Ten Hag doesn't really do weaken teams. It's going to be a pretty formidable side for an FA Cup third round tie uh, against, again, one of the league's uh, lower teams. United have been quite fortunate in that sense and that since the World Cup, they've they've come up against teams who have been, what, the bottom five, bottom six of the table in the Premier League and, and now that's the case with this FA Cup game on Friday. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's just a shame it's not at Goodison Park to hear another iconic boo from the uh, from the Everton supporters. Nobody does it better, Ty. But yeah, Samuel <laughs> mentioned there, um, United, you know, are likely to name a strong team here. Ten Hag's, you know, as always said, he's modus operandi, he's been trophies, trophies, trophies. Obviously, the top four is a name as well, but it, he's always, in any interview about his goals for the season and his highlights of 2022, it was winning the league at Ajax and his goals are to, to lift more silverware. So I can't see him um, kind of throwing away an opportunity like this, but what, do you reckon there could be some changes here? What do you, it's, it's interesting because he kind of named probably one of his weakest teams um, in the league and Bournemouth, at least in defence. And, you know, mm. Van der Beek starting was kind of unsurprised, uh, was kind of surprised as well. So that, that team kind of seemed more like a team that would start in an FA Cup match. So do you think he could actually go a bit more stronger this time, you know, Varane coming back perhaps? Quite possibly, yeah. I mean, you look at Varane and Martinez on the bench and you think maybe they'll maybe they'll start this game because you could 
make changes then against Charlton. I think the the following week, the Charlton game, although yeah. it's a, a quarter final, is clearly even easier than than Everton at the moment in theory. Um, so I think there's I think there's enough scope over the next two games to maybe make three or four changes in each game really and and give players a rest. Um, you can certainly see Garnacho starting at least one of them. I was going to mention Sancho then, but I mean, who knows what, what Sancho's situation is at the moment, but Alanga might get a start against Charlton, maybe. Could look at bringing Malassia in. There's enough competition at right back with Wan-Bissaka now to give maybe Dallow a game, bring him back into the starting lineup against Everton and, and then play Wan-Bissaka against Charlton. Malassia can play at left back. Tomane and Fred could play in midfield in, in one of those games. So I think there's there's enough scope there to, to be making changes. You would say Everton is, is the tougher game, so you'd probably have a slightly stronger team. Um, but the, the, you know, the gaps between the games, Tuesday, Friday, Tuesday, work out fairly well too. They're all at home. So you know, the, the fixture list has been pretty kind. And I think we, we will see changes. Like you say, I, I was surprised at the number of changes last night. With that being the Premier League game, I thought it had gone as strong as possible. And then made changes here. But I guess now, you, certainly defensively, you're probably looking at Varane and Martinez against Everton and then maybe rest them both against Charlton ahead of the derby. Well, we certainly look forward to that match and talking about it. But to kind of turn our attentions uh, briefly over to the transfer window, because it is January now, it is in full force. There hasn't been much movement yet on United's hunt for a striker. But the goalkeeper situation, Samuel, is rather interesting. We've kind of got updates on multiple fronts here because David De Gea um, is opened uh, talks with a new deal. He curiously didn't have his current deal um, extended um, along the along the likes of uh, Rashford, Fred, Shaw, and there is another one in there somewhere whose name escapes. Dallow. Dallow. Um, but he is now in talks to extend it even further, and he recently said to the MEN and expects the talks to end in a good way. And then with the Martin Depravka situation, he got recalled by Newcastle, um, it looks like United uh, could be making an approach for Jack Butland, a once prodigy who hasn't quite lived up to those heights, but he's certainly, um, well, he's kind of taken the Scott Carson approach to goalkeeping a bit earlier than <laughs> a bit earlier than um, Carson himself and other famous ones of that role. But um, he, he, you know, he's decent pedigree for a backup, that's for sure. Yeah, he's twenty nine as well. He, he's been around for a while, but he did emerge at. Birmingham, I think it was at quite a young age, and he was on England's radar as well. I think he might have made his England debut in 2012, so he would have been quite quite precociously young. Even he must have been a teenager when he did that. I can't I can't remember for the life of me his, his debut, but I think he was around the setup at that point. Um, it fits the profile. I mean, he he spent a fair amount of time in the north with with Stoke as well, so perhaps that appeals to him. I think it's logical for United to look for another backup goalkeeper I, I would argue that Butland's profile is maybe a little like Dubravka's it's it's too high profile though they they could go for an, an older keeper um, I think if Butland's coming in at the age of 29 and you've got Heaton at the, who's who's 36 there's still a bit of uncertainty as to who's actually number two uh, I think at Palace obviously is the number one and I forget completely that Sam Johnson's there as well who I mean talk about someone who's in there comfort zone and, and has lacked ambition I was always very very um, you know perplexed by his career path at United and that he'd sign these contracts and, and stay at the club and yet he would claim that he was ambitious and he, he, he's shown for West Brom and, and when he was on loan at Villa that he was a, you know, he's, he's got good, good ability as a goalkeeper but he's made some moves that 
have ensured that he was not going to get any football whatsoever. And again, as I said, I completely passed me by that he's he's actually at Palace. But I think Butland's been getting on the bench recently, I presume because of an injury to Johnston. But that would indicate that Butland's number three there. So it, I suppose in that sense, it, it does it does make sense if he's going there just to be happy with it. It is still very strange for a 29-year-old goalkeeper to be of that mindset that they, they just want to, you know, do the warm-ups and pick up the cones and be a, a spare piece. That, that That is really a role that a mid 30s or late 30s keeper should be fulfilling but clearly there's a there's a niche market for it that that's and, and scott carson as she says probably uh blazed a trail there so uh, it looks like it, there shouldn't be too and too many issues with that happening and if he is indeed the number three at palace and if johnston is 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 back sometime soon then i don't really see why uh that that shouldn't happen and you know i suppose united have acted pretty swiftly to uh, to try and get someone in after Dubravka went back to Newcastle. Uh, Ty, what do you kind of reckon to the De Gea situation? Because you know, De Gea's been having a, a really good season, um, looking kind of back to his best, continuing his fine form from last year, of course, which kind of kind of sent uh, Dean Henderson packing. And But I think there's always been this concern that he isn't quite as good on the ball as you'd want for a Ten Hag team. And the fact that he's now getting a new deal and presumably Butland, if it's not a loan and it's kind of a permanent signing, he's going to be there for a bit. Henderson coming back in the summer. Again, United are kind of back to square one with having four keepers who would, well, at least two of them would reasonably see themselves wanting to be first choice. And then two would, you know, you'd like to think Butland at 29 would want to at least have ambitions of playing a bit more regularly than, you know, just the just in training. Um, and again, United might want to look at a, a keeper who's a bit more in line with Ten Hag's style, potentially. It's a, it's, a, it's a strange one that United, like a whole United, can't really seem to get rid of them, get themselves out of. And it's surely going to have to change in the summer with a permanent departure, probably on a Henderson's end, it would look like. Yeah, I think Henderson is, is almost certain to be off in, in the summer. He's not going to want to come back and be number two again. I think we've established that much. I mean, for the rest of this, this season, I think the only question is going to be who's number two. I don't think Jack Butland will be coming in under any um, thought, really, that he can challenge De Gea. And obviously, that's going to be a loan. We know Tom Eaton's contract's up at the end of the season. Given the uncertainty, it, it probably makes sense to try and keep Eaton for another year as as third choice um, and then sign a, a number two and maybe a number two who can put a bit of pressure on De Gea. But, the, the you know, the contract makes a lot of sense, really. The it was a difficult one because there was no way he could stay at United on 375 grand a week. He's, he's the best paid keeper in the world. With all due respect to someone who is a very good goalkeeper and has been a remarkable servant for United, he's not the best goalkeeper in the world. But he has been very good recently. He's very good at keeping the ball out of his net. There is the thought process about getting someone who, who fits better to Ten Hag's system. But you know, yeah, since that Brentford game, they've, they've obviously played out from the back less and you're not... You're not watching it at the moment thinking De Gea is a problem in that team. Far from it, really. And, yeah. and maybe there'll be a gradual condition, uh, can sort of gradual change and, and phasing out in the next two or three years. But he's still he's still pretty young for a goalkeeper. He's doing what you want from a goalkeeper, which is he's keep the ball out of the net. Um, so I think probably the ideal scenario is De Gea signs a new contract on on lesser terms, which it seems that he's amenable to. And you know he's he, he's a very switched on footballer. He's not going to be looking at it thinking. I should be on 375 grand a week here. I think he'll probably be accepting that that contract was was maybe a little fortunate. That was, you know, it came at a particular time. He's, he's probably aware that now's the time that that sort of comes down um, as, as his career progresses. And 
then you keep someone like Heaton as number three and, and look to bring in a number two who, who is maybe better with his feet and, and can get to the point of, of challenging De Gea. I think that is probably the, the way to go. But if De Gea does sign a longer-term deal on on, uh, on reduced terms, then I think that's, that is the best scenario for United at the moment. Uh, do you agree, Samuel, with Hale? With tie about the hair, I should say. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah our, our resident goalkeeping expert here, absolutely. Yeah. De Gea has he has done well this season, and it has been a long time since his his distribution or his his limitations at distributing the ball have actually been topical or, or discussed. He's, I mean, shot stopping. I think if if an exocet was fired at someone's goal, De Gea is still the keeper that you'd want to to keep it out. Uh, some of the saves he's made during his time at United have, have defied belief, and he's he's got some resilience about him as well. In that he he's come he came through that sticky period of probably two years really. He had a very very poor uh, run of form towards the end of the eighteen nineteen season. He wasn't wholly convincing in nineteen twenty. Then Henderson came in, and there was. The rotation and the indecision of the manager, uh, the the best thing that could have happened really for Dyer and it's it's unfortunate for Dean Henderson was was Henderson getting COVID because it ensured that Hen that Dyer started the season, and that was not Solskjaer's plan um, as as I wrote at the time and then Henderson uh, rather. Um, confirmed in, in, in the only way that Dean Henderson could with that interview with TalkSport in the summer. But to Haya, to his credit, he, you know, I think he, he realises, as, as Ty said, he's he's not going to necessarily get a really good move elsewhere now. I think that in 2019, when his, he had one year left in his contract, there was still an argument there that he had that aura about him that you could see maybe Juventus going for him and he'd, he'd, let's face it, I think he'd still be an upgrade on Juventus', on Juventus keeper in Chesney, uh, but Juventus aren't in a particularly great place anymore. It's very difficult to see where he would go if he if he did leave United and he's, he's actually become quite wedded to United now, which nobody expected in 2014 or 15 when it was very clear that he wanted to, to join Real Madrid and he, he would have done but for that fax machine malfunction. He's been at United for for nearly twelve years now, and he's he's very attached to the club. And he's, he's, I think he used the words "This is my club." Last night, to me, it was it was, it was peculiar in that you had you know, I had that um, that privilege of that access to him. I was I was the only one down the mix zone last night because Simon Peach is uh, sunning himself in Mexico or the States or, or wherever it is, uh, as he does every time this year. But when when De Gea is in the form he is in at the moment. The goalkeeper, the goalkeeping issue is 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 a non-issue, and also this year United need to invest heavily in a striker, a goal scorer. If they're having to invest heavily in a goalkeeper as well, and they would have to be if they wanted to change the guard there, it's very difficult to justify that um, when a, a top-class forward is going to cost them the best part of a hundred million pounds. So, if they can keep De Gea performing at the level he is at the moment for another two or three years I think everyone's a winner there Absolutely, and you'll be a winner ladies and gentlemen if you go over to ManchesterEveningNews.co.uk forward slash Manchester United for all the latest on United's hunt for a new goalkeeper and a striker with any luck in the January transfer window and of course we'll have all the latest news over there um, from United's upcoming cup fixtures against Everton and Charlton. That brings 
the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast to a lovely end. Thank you all very much for listening once again. And of course, if you want to see our ugly mugs in living colour, please go over and check out our brand new YouTube channel. It's at Manchester United-MEN. You seem to be responding to it very nicely. So if you've not checked in on it yet, go and click and subscribe. Um, have a watch of all the great content on there. And please do enjoy. Let us know how you're finding it. And you know you can give this podcast a share too. That wouldn't go amiss. So everyone, thank you very much for listening we'll be back with you next week to talk about that Everton game and any new shakes and moves in the transfer market but until then it's goodbye for now ta-ra